0: All right, so growing up, my, I loved when my grandfather would come to visit because my grandfather, he always had this saying. He would always take us out to dinner and uh, he had this saying that I'm, we're going to take you out and you can order from the menu anything that you want. Order all that you want, but here's the kicker. If you're going to order it, you've got to eat it. So if it comes on your plate and it comes before you, you order all you want, but you've got to eat what you order. And so there was this restaurant one time that my, my grandfather came up and visited us. It was uh, near the... Middle of Michigan, right off I 75. It was called Tony's. Now, if you watch like the Food Network or anything else like that, Tony's has been uh, featured on that uh, TV channel. And Tony's is this, it's really kind of a truck stop, but their claim to fame is they have larger than life food. Everything that they do is like epic. Like, so you get like this um, turkey sandwich, and it's like a pound of turkey between two small layers of bread, and so this is the stacked high thing of, of meat, and everything is supersized, so when I went there with my, my grandfather, I looked at the, and my father was there too, and I looked at the menu, and I saw all these wonderful things, I'm like, what do I choose, and so my eyes were super big, and I, I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to get a BLT, which is more than a pound of bacon, uh, fried up, yes, a pound of bacon, in between two things, like two whole tomatoes, and all of this, and then a, a plate that's this big, full of fries, And that's what I also ordered. And I also decided that I wanted a banana split that was for dessert. Now, the banana split was in a bowl that was about this big. It was like more than a gallon of ice cream, like piled high with like eight bananas and all of this delectable toppings. And so I ordered all this. And my grandfather and my dad beforehand said, now, be careful. You see what's coming out of the kitchen. You know that this is all supersized. And I'm like, I got this. I'm, I'm all over this. I'm so hungry. And so as the food started coming out before me, I looked at the um, BLT, and I was like, man, that's so good. And I started chowing into it with a bite of a bacon and a bite of a fry and a drink of the Coke and a bite of bacon and a bite of the fry and a bite of the Coke. And soon, within less than five minutes, my belly was full, and I, the um, banana split hadn't even come out yet. And But I ordered it, and so the, the goal was I had to eat everything. And so my grandfather and my dad, looking on, shaking their heads, were like, well, you got to eat it, and we're not going until you can eat it. So after four and a half hours of sitting there at the table, absolutely stuffed, I couldn't take another bite, the banana split showed up. <laughs> And so I stuffed my face even more and more and more. And I, I honestly could not finish it all. And thankful my grandfather and my dad stepped in and helped me finish it off so that it was all gone. But I learned a very important lesson that day. And it's a lesson that I'm still kind of learning. It's the lesson that sometimes we, we bite off more than we can chew. Or sometimes our eyes are bigger than our stomach. Or sometimes with the desire to do great things, we take on way more than we are capable of, even being able to give any ounce of of effort into, or we give way more effort than we need to. And that's one of the things that I learned, and I want us to look at today, that sometimes in life, we, especially in the life of the church, we tend to want to take on more than we really can handle. We, we try to bite off more than we can chew. And you know the reality is if you really do bite off more than you can chew, it can lead to death. Because if the bite is too big for you to even move your teeth and, and chomp it up and die, be able to digest it, it just gets lodged in your throat and you can die of suffocation. So that principle and that idea is something that we see God's people struggling through throughout the whole Bible. We see God's man continually trying to care and disciple for God's people. And they begin with great intentions. The intentions are that I want to to be the face of Christ. I want to be the face of God. I want to help God's people grow and mature in faith and in understanding of, of who this great God is. But Sometimes these well intentions begin to weigh on the people that are trying to carry out this message and this mission that God has given us. And sometimes people get burnt out. And we can see that Moses, one of, of, of God's leaders that he provided to his people, was one of those men that struggled with this and had an opportunity to look at this. We're going to begin today looking in, in Exodus, chapter thir- uh, Exodus chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus. If you don't know where that's at, go to the front of the Bible. Genesis is the first book, and you move to the right just a little bit, and you'll be in Exodus. So look for Exodus chapter 18. And what I want us to see is that, that God throughout all history and throughout time has continually and always provided leaders for his people. Whether they're in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, God continually provides people to be leaders. And many, many times throughout scripture we see that, that the leader of God's people has this, um, this name or this title of shepherd or pastor. Now the idea that we see behind this idea of, of being a shepherd is that shepherds are more than just guys that hung out on the hillside in robes and played harps. Like that's who, we, who shepherds have become in our mind. But biblical shepherds had way deeper responsibilities. Shepherds were fully responsible for the total flock. Being a shepherd was a, a role and a responsibility and an image that God gives to his leaders. And we can see throughout Scripture that the responsibility of the shepherd was to care for the flock. They were supposed to feed the flock. They were supposed to keep the flock. And they were supposed to lead the flock. And we're going to see those three things showing up over and over again today as we continue to to look at the leadership that God has given the church. So they are to feed, they are to keep, and they are to lead. And in some ways, the, the shepherd of God's people are supposed to lead and be able to speak into every aspect of the lives of those that follow. And we see that in the beginning, as as God leads his people out of slavery and into the uh, wilderness and towards the promised land, we see what's taking place is that, that Moses has become this leader. He's become this shepherd for God's people. He begins to take on the shepherding role. And if you flip back just real quickly to Exodus 15, you see that what takes place in Exodus 15 is God's people, as they're in the wilderness, as they're they're traveling and they're moving, they need water. They can't live without water and they can't live without food. So Moses becomes responsible for being the feeder of God's people. Well, God provides the food, but Moses goes to God and says, hey... Your people are dying. We need you to have food. And so he takes water and and makes water for them and provides for them. Then we see in in Exodus uh, 17, as you move on, we see that that Moses is responsible for keeping God's people. In Exodus 17, uh, God's people go out and they fight against Amalek, And we see that Moses is there standing on the side as Joshua is out fighting in the battle. We see that he's called to raise his hands and raise his arms up. And as long as he keeps his arms raised, God's people begin to to, uh, overcome the enemy. But then as soon as Moses begins to lower his hands, God's people become defeated. And so we see that Moses is responsible for making sure that God's people are kept. So we see feeding, keeping, and we see that he's also responsible for leading. And I want us to look now in Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse 13. Now, what is taking place right prior to this is Moses is leading God's people, he's doing all these amazing things, and the responsibility is resting on his shoulders. And it's amazing that his father-in-law, Jethro, shows up. He's he's coming back to to bring his wife, or Jethro's coming back to bring Moses' wife and Moses' family together, and they're they're being reunited. And so his father-in-law spends some time with Moses, and he has this this opportunity to talk in the beginning of, of chapter 18. And they're like, look at what all the things that God has done. And then Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, has an opportunity just to watch what Moses does. And look with me in verse 13 of chapter 18. So the next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Evening. "'And Moses said to his father-in-law, "'Because the people come to me to inquire of God, "'when they have a dispute, they come out, "'they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, "'and I make them known the statutes of God and his law. "'Moses' father-in-law said to him, "'What you are doing is not good. "'You and the people with you will certainly wear yourself out, "'for the thing is too heavy for you, "'and you are not able to do it alone.' Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice. And God will be with you, and you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the law, and make and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they judge bring to you, but any small matter they should decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. All this people also will go to their place in peace." And so in verse 24, Moses listened and did what his father-in-law had instructed him. So we see that as the weight of Moses' shepherding of God's people, as he desires to shepherd them and, and lead them to God, he wants to teach them and help them become disciples of God. Jethro shows up and he says, what you're doing is not good. The responsibility that God has placed on you is so great, and you're hindering the growth process. You're not only killing yourself, you're bottlenecking the work of God. And he says that your responsibility is to lead and to feed and to keep the whole nation. But look for men. And we see here, he gives, look for men that have certain responsibilities, that look for men to help you shepherd God's people. Look for individuals that will help lead and help um, th- those that fear the Lord and that don't love money. And so we see here he gives them a clear organizational structure. He says, starts out with you at the top. And then make sure that you're dividing the people up by the thousands and have people that lead over those thousands and then have a smaller group that leads over the hundreds and divide the people up by fifties and let the- divide the people up by tens. And so we see this very organized structure in which the people of God have an opportunity to be connected to God. And it doesn't rely just on one person. But it relies on a bunch of people that are helping us grow or helping people grow closer to God. And so we see again this idea of organic and and organization coming together. For at the top, you see as as it moves further up the, the ladder, there was more and more organization. But as you move further and further down from the 50s to the 100s, or from the 100s to the 50s to the 10, you see that it's more organic oversight that is taking place. And the structure we also see that is being played out is also a beautiful way of training. So you start out someone that, that appears to be one that loves and fears the Lord, and one who doesn't, isn't into taking bribes, one that, a man that is faithful, and you put him in charge of tens. And you see over time, as he is faithful with the tens, that he's able to be now faithful over the fifties. And as he shows that he's, he cares for God's people and cares for um, just his leadership, he's able to, to move on up to be a carer of hundreds and possibly a carer of thousands. And we even see that even after Moses moves on, even the care of thousands, there is a leader that God hands over the leadership to in Joshua. But this principle of, of shared leadership and discipleship is not just something that's in the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. Flip with me real fast to Exodus chapter, or Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter Six, and we see this is right after the birth of the church, and it's continuing to grow and in Acts chapter six, we see um, something very similar taking place. The church is growing and and initially what takes place is as racism comes into the church as the the widows of the Greeks and the widows of the hebrews there's this great dispute, and, and there's um, the care for the widows are is not happening the way that it's supposed to. And so we see this in Acts chapter 6. Look with me. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food it doesn't say that but it's the daily distribution of food and the 12 summoned uh, the, the full number of the disciples and said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of god to serve tables therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the holy spirit and of wisdom whom will, you will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what was said pleased the whole gathering and they chose seven men So we see here that as uh, the church is growing and as this opportunity comes about and this opportunity for dispute comes about, the apostles hear this concern. And what they do, instead of taking it on themselves, they delegate the responsibilities to men within the church to help lead and to help care for. And they say to themselves, and they they give this uh, truth, that they are responsible for leading and keeping God's people within the church. Help others, help find others to help feed. So again, we see these three things showing up. Leading, keeping, and feeding. That's the responsibility of the shepherd. And that's, we see here now that there's this delineation of that, that the the leaders and the keepers are the apostles. And we see that these feeders now are these other men who have certain qualifications, but also certain responsibilities. Flip over real fast to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see uh, something else taking place. is that, that God's purpose for the church and his assignments within the church is he gives certain people within the body of Christ certain responsibilities to produce certain outcomes. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he, this is being God in, in Christ, gave the apostles... Uh, Gave some to be apostles, uh, prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined is joined and held together by every joint, that with which is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we see within the church, the responsibility is is God has given specific titles and specific leaders within the church so that the body may be matured. So those that come and unite and belong to the body of Christ in a local setting, that they may be matured that they may grow so that they may bring honor and glory to God. So as we see from Ephesians and, and even through uh, the rest of the epistles, that the, the leadership within the church continued to develop and continued to they, they continue to ask the question, how do we care for the people of God over the body of Christ? And so we see by the epistles, um, especially in 1 Timothy, which we're going to go there now, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I know we're jumping around, but just bear with me. This is a great breath of scripture that we're trying to cover this morning but in in first timothy chapter three by this time in the early church we see that there's an understanding that within the church there are two offices that are responsible for providing leadership to the church vision for the church and care for the church and discipleship so by the time we get to first timothy chapter three these two offices of pastor and deacon show up and are cemented in the dna of the church what was, what was growing in a very organic way by the time we get to 1 Timothy has now become God's organizational structure that he wants to pass on for every generation in the church. And so we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to Timothy as, as he's charged Timothy in uh, setting up the church and being a pastor of the church. This is what he says. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That's for the overseer. Then he goes on to the deacon. A deacon, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we see here that in the church... There are two offices now that the church is supposed to have. Now, when we come to Scripture, I want to just give you this, this brief um, definition or this brief understanding. There, In the New Testament, you see different words used for the office of pastor. You may, When you read through Scripture, you may see pastor, you may see elder, you may see overseer, or you may see bishop. And those are all synonymous for this title or this office of pastor. So, Some of the verses we'll read in a little bit will also refer to elder or they will refer to bishop or overseer. And we even see in 1 Timothy this idea of overseer. The office of overseer is really the office of what we come to understand as the pastor. So the pastor, as we see here, has two main functions. And it's interesting that if you look through uh, this passage, you see those two functions of leading and keeping. The pastor is supposed to provide oversight as we see not only his roles and his respo- we see his responsibilities or his qualifications, we also see his roles and responsibility. So the pastor is supposed to give oversight to the church. He's supposed to lead. If we flip to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, we can see that uh, it says there, let the elders or let the pastor who rules... Um, Rules well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So we see that the pastor responsibility is to rule or to provide, um, to have leadership or charge over the church's affairs. We also see in verse uh, 17 that the pastor is also supposed to labor. They're supposed to give their best. They're supposed to work their hardest for Christ through the life of the church. But in Hebrews chapter 13, we also see that the pastor's responsibility in leading is also to just lead. They are supposed to be providing leadership through vision and direction and looking at um, the, the way in which the church is going and making sure that they are on track. So the pastor is supposed to lead. The pastor we see is also supposed to keep. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 reminds us that the pastor is supposed to care. They're supposed to walk with people through life, be there through the challenging times, the difficult times, but also the exciting times, and be there with people. We also see the pastor is supposed to protect. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 tells the pastor in other places that the pastor is responsible for protecting the doctrine of the church. Making sure that those those wolves that, that are outside that seek to destroy the gospel or to seek to taint the gospel, that they the pastor is the one that's responsible for protecting the body against it. But then we also see the pastor's responsibility is to teach. We are to teach the things of God, caring for the word of God. And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So there's an immense responsibility that God has given the role of the pastor. But I also want us to see that the role of the pastor, it was never, ever completely designed to just be one person. In its infancy and in its growth and in its uh, discussion within the church, we see that this office of pastor was always designated with this understanding of plurality of pastoral leadership. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Paul is giving instructions and he says, As you go and as you're going to these churches, appoint elders or appoint pastors in every church. He uses the plural, and you see it even in 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's this understanding of this plurality of pastors or this plurality of elders or this plurality of leadership and in some ways over time this identity of this understanding of this plurality of leadership has um, disappeared in some ways within the baptist church or even in churches in america for many of us i grew up in a church where there was a pastor there was only one pastor we were a part of a, a small church growing up and so our pastor was supposed to be the guy that did it all he was the the the, the CEO, he was the CFO, he was the the chairman of, of all the committees. He was the guy that, that if there was a leak in the roof, he fixed it. If there was a problem with the soundboard, he fixed it. If there was a problem in the nursery, he fixed it. And So the pastor was a jack of all trades, and he did everything. I don't know if you guys have been in churches like that, but pastors were like that. And so growing up, I never wanted to be a pastor. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to have expertise in everything. I just love people, and I love God's word, and I want to share God's word. I don't want to have to know about like mortgages and stuff like that. I don't want to have to know all of that stuff. I don't want to have to know how the toilet works in the bathroom. I just want to be able to tell people that Jesus loves them. And so I never wanted to be a pastor. And so we see that that's what's kind of happened in America today, that there is a pastor in many, many churches. And if the pastor doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. But I want us to see that in Scripture... The pastor is not just supposed to be one person. And the pastor is not supposed to be an expert in all things. But this responsibility of this immense role is designed to be shared among other men. And I also want us to see throughout Scripture that the the office of pastor, or the church office of pastor, is also designed to be a combination of both vocational and volunteer pastors. It's not just supposed to be set aside just for the people that get paid. Like we pay these guys to do the work of the church. I believe that God has set up his church to provide opportunities to bring not only those that are paid, but also those that are volunteers to come in and to share the load. Because if you've been a part of any church for any amount of time, you know that there are people in the church that have way better expertise than the pastor. Like there are people in churches, even in this church, that like understand finance. Like, why in the world would I, as, as pastor of this campus, want to pretend as though I have all expertise in finance? I don't like the last week we were talking about as we had the baptismal water here, like we were talking about, I wonder what it's going to, how long this, how long is it going to take for this temperature in the water to get to the point where it's uncomfortable? Because when we came in last Sunday morning, uh, we put the, pull the thermometer out and we realized it was a very comfortable temperature. But by the time I got in, the water was a little bit cold. It wasn't freezing, but it was a little bit cold. And so it was great that I didn't have to figure out the math on all that. We asked our, our DuPont expert in the back to figure that out. Like how long is it going to actually take for this water to get to the point of where it's uncomfortable and so he did some quick calculations in his head he's like well we got about four hours i'm like okay thanks that you know that i don't need to know that i just know we have four hours so i need to preach quick last week so we can get into the water so it's good to know that we don't have to have people around us that know everything god has given the church many many different people to do the ministry of the church but he has set aside pastors to take to care for um, pastoral care, administration, preaching, and to oversee the direction of the church. Now, I've been a pastor of, of, of a church that was uh, a little bit larger than our fellowship. and we, I, was part, I was pastor of a church where the average age of the congregation was 65. And for me, my pastoral leadership in that church was focused a lot on pastoral care. I went to the hospital a lot. Like The people in the hospital were like, hey, Pastor Jeff, hey, Pastor Jeff. They like knew me by name, and they had my chair like in my places set up so that they knew because I was always in the hospital. Now, I love that part of, of my ministry. I love being with people that are hurting. I love being able to, to pray over them and speak the word of God into their lives and give them that encouragement to know that Christ is near them. So I love that. But it also, because it was so overwhelming, other things suffered. Other things within the responsibility of the church suffered. So I, I see that the reality of having a pastor is challenging and it can be overwhelming. And that's why God didn't just give the church pastor. He gave the church pastors. And I'm thankful that now I serve at a church where we have pastors where together we, Pastor John, Pastor Terry, and I can seek the Lord together and grow in Christian fellowship together, and I have other men to keep me accountable so that I make sure that I am living up to the requirements and qualifications that First Timothy chapter three lays out for me. So we see that the office of pastor, but that's not the only thing that the Lord has given us. Go back with me to First Timothy chapter three. And I want us just for a very few minutes, I want us to focus in on the role of deacons. So we've, we've seen so far that pastors are, are given the responsibility to, to teach, to lead, and to, to keep God's people. But we see, and you're going to see, that God has given the church, the deacons, to really care for the feeding role. The church office of deacon, it's pretty amazing that there is uh, no specific passage that you can go to to say, this is exactly what the deacon is supposed to do. Um, but you have to pull things together in the New Testament. We can just stay in First Timothy chapter 3, and we can see as we look at the role and responsibility of the pastor as compared to the role and responsibility of deacon in chapter 3 of First Timothy. We can see that there are some distinctions between pastors and deacons. If you look here, you see that the pastor has got to have the ability to teach. He must be able to teach, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. But it doesn't say that about the deacon. The deacon himself does not have to be able to teach. Though the deacon can teach, he doesn't have to have that giftedness in order to be a teacher. What it does say is that that deacon is, supposed, is called to hold to the faith with a clear conscience. So the deacon may or may not have an official teaching or a teaching role in the church, but they're not going to be the ones that are the main teachers. The main teachers will be the pastors. But we also see that, like pastors, deacons must manage their household well. But in referring to the deacons, Paul here omits that they are not to be caring for God's church. They're to care for their family, but he doesn't give that added qualification that he gives to the overseer or to the pastor, that they are to care for God's church. So maybe the deacon is not supposed to uh, be the ruling leader in the church. I think that function belongs to the pastors. But we also see that, um, that although Paul indicates a person must be tested before they can hold the office of deacon, it also doesn't say about the longevity. The, the, they may not be a, a, a new convert refers to the elders and, or to the pastors and not the deacons. So in implication, we see that the role of the deacon is more of a servant role. It's not a leadership in the direction of vision and all of that as much as it is more of a servant role. So the overseer is one or the pastor is one that gives general oversight to the spiritual well-being of the congregation where maybe the title of deacon implies more of a servant-oriented ministry. We see that again in, in Acts chapter 6, though there's discussion on whether or not the seven that were appointed in Acts chapter 6 were actually deacons. But we do see men taking on this, this leadership role of, of serving and, and of dispersing of food and of waiting at tables and caring for the church itself. And so today, in 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 our local churches, we see that God has really kind of given a freedom to define what the tasks of deacons are. We don't have the freedom to to change the definition of the qualifications, but we have the ability to kind of shape and deform the. The task of deacons. So in the American church today and even in our church today, uh, we may see deacons take on um, leadership in the facilities. They may have deacons that oversee uh, the building or responsible for the property. They may be over cleaning up. They may be over the sound system. They may be over different things that are related to the facilities. Now, I don't know if you saw this or not. Um, but this, today we have an influx of people, which is great. I'm so glad all of you are here. But because of space, we have to sometimes get uh, chairs and bring in extra chairs. And your deacons today uh, were going to find the chairs that Sarah and I hid this week to see if they could find them. Uh, so they were very, very busy. As you guys are worshiping the Lord, they're running around trying to find these chairs that, that I hid on accident. It wasn't intentional. But they found them, and now we have extra chairs. So that's what deacons do. Um, Deacons also care for benevolence. We see uh, in Acts chapter 6 that they were caring for the daily distribution of food. We see that deacons can help out with finances. Uh, They they may not be the financial leader or the financial uh, vision giver, but they can help keep the books or help with the offering. We can see that deacons can help with ushering. Deacons can help with logistics. There's so many things that deacons can help with in the body of the church. Now, I want to say this before we move to draw this all together. Even though the, there's leadership within the deacons and pastors we see that have given us in Scripture, that does not remove the responsibility of the congregation. So a pastor comes in. The pastor is not the one that says, this is what we're doing. If you don't like it, get out. We are a congregational-led church, and so we believe that the the, the ultimate authority lies within not the ultimate authority, but the ultimate decision-making lies within the believers themselves. And so the pastors and deacons may come together and they may present and they may have ideas and they, they carry it out and they present to the church. The church is the one that has the ultimate yay or nay on that vision and on that direction. But we also know that within the church, the church cannot happen without many, many other teachers, without many, many other committees, without many, many other servants. And the church is made up of those. Our church is made up of those. And our church would not exist apart without all of those. And those roles are not specifically listed in the Bible. We don't see that the, the Bible says that you're supposed to have a committee on committees, or the church is supposed to have a um, a finance committee. The church, the Bible doesn't say that, but God has given us the freedom to help provide organizational structure for those things to happen. And so again, it's that opportunity to provide uh, opportunities to serve and to see faithfulness. And and those that are faithful um, sometimes get called up to be. Elders, called up to be deacons. And then you even see from within our own church that many, many times some of those that have served in the role of deacon have been called up to be pastors. So I wanted to just quickly, for just a moment, I wanted to give us a quick, quick evaluation of, of our church. And I think this is where the pastors together have been looking at the word of God and looking at discipleship. And we've been asking ourselves this question, like, how are we doing? How are we doing as a church in our organizational structure with this understanding of of elders or pastors and and deacons? And if you look at our our church real quickly, you can see that our church and our campus has both offices represented. Uh, We both have pastors, plural, and we have uh, deacons, plural, for our campus. And in our, the way our, our church is structured is that there's a direct correlation between the amount of deacons we have compared to the amount of members that we have. And so there is this, this care and this, this structure for care. But what we don't have in the organization of our church is how many pastors we need compared to how many people we need. So there, that's one thing that we are looking at. So if we look at just some understanding of, of, of these deacons and these pastors, we can look at qualifications. I want you to know that the qualifications of our pastor and our deacons, we have the most qualified leadership that I've ever been around. Like the wisdom that is among our deacon body and the wisdom that is among our pastors, not including me, is amazing. And so together, know that you have deacons and, and pastors that live up to Acts, or First Timothy chapter three, those qualifications. and if at any point they're stumbling in those, those deacons or pastors are or will be removed. We hold that very, very true, and that, that's very um, important. So qualification. we have the highest qualified uh, deacons and pastors on our, our church in our church. But then we look at responsibilities. The responsibilities, this is probably one of the biggest challenges. The, the responsibilities of pastors and deacons are kind of blurred at this point. Sometimes we have our deacon body, we use our deacon body It's more like a, a group of pastors where we gather together where there's an issue that's facing the church and there's more wisdom there, so they gather together and we share and we talk about it and we, we glean wisdom in that. But also, there's some blurred lines in the responsibilities as you move on further down um, Sometimes the pastors do some of the deaconing, and sometimes the deacons do some of the pastoring. And the other challenge that we have is, is the size of groups or the size of sheep that we have underneath our shepherding. Uh, sometimes that's, that's challenging at this time. Uh, it's not as well established as it could be. Um, but we do have a good correlation of deacons to members, but the lines of care are sometimes blurred. And so those are some of the things that we are looking at. Um, Our campus right now has a, I would say, we have a very healthy ratio of pastors to deacons to people. There's enough here that if you have an issue, if you have a challenge in your life, you can call me, you can call uh, Matt Dixon, or at this time you can call Rick Bino. uh, Or you can even call uh, Dan Coleman if you want to. Even though he's not serving, he's rotated off as a deacon. I know he'd love to serve you as well, but you, you are cared for. Um, you have enough care, um, but if we need it, we take advantage of it. So one of the things that we're looking at is we're reexamining how we as pastors and deac- deacons can provide better care for the people that God has brought. For there is a responsibility and the opportunity and the, the knowledge in which we know and understand that there have been people that have come to be a part of our fellowship that have slipped through the cracks, And that's not something that we're excited about. That's not something we want on the billboard to say, come here, you'll slip through the cracks. But what we want is to provide a space and a place where we know that we are caring for all people that God is bringing. So if you're here this morning and you're not a part of this church, you're not a part of the fellowship of what God's doing, know that if you come, our desire is to care for you. We want you to grow in wisdom and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to grow in your faith. We want to provide opportunities for you to to find the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you. And we want to help utilize those so that you can glorify God and advance his kingdom. That's our heart's desire. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. So pray for us as pastors. Pray for the leadership team of our churches. We try to answer this question, what is this going to look like? Pray for us. And if the Lord lays on you like a great vision, you're like, this is the way it's supposed to be, then please tell us because we want to know. We want to be able to, to take your input and your thoughts and your ideas and prayers. And we want to be able to be more faithful with those that God has provided